I'm Will. And I'm Luke. And this is Will and Luke Discuss. A vodcast. And podcast. Where we discuss content related to psychology, personal growth, self-development, and well-being. This This episode, episode, we're discussing Dr. Russ Harris, The Happiness Trap. It's uh, been around since 2007. I didn't realise how old it was until I just looked in the cover. Ancient. Before we started. Ancient, yeah. yeah, A long time ago. But, um... Yeah, again, this is one of those books that I read, uh, God, probably about five years ago and kind of read it maybe a bit too quickly and just kind of like smashed through it and picked up a few things along the way. But then in reading it again this week, I've, it's just a really helpful reminder. I feel like it's one of those books that's definitely worth having on the shelf because it's something you can always go back to and it will tune up if you've ever forgotten some of the skills or ideas from it. So I'm definitely, definitely grateful to read it again and also with in mind doing this this chat as well so mm. help me consume it in a new way yeah as, uh, as all these books have yeah i um i did this course in acceptance and commitment therapy in i want to say maybe 2013 2014 and this was a book kind of recommended off the back of that course because it was like the first sort of lay person self-help book from that therapy like you often find that a new therapy comes out and there's all the academic literature and then someone gets in there with the first like self-help book that you can find in any bookshop and this is kind of that for acceptance and commitment therapy yeah nice i hadn't thought about it like that Mm. (laughs) that that, that does seem to happen a fair bit doesn't it um but i I am again yeah really, really enjoyed it it's a really easy to understand book i thought i thought some of the ideas were great some of them i didn't quite latch on to some of the um techniques in particular around diffusion i found a bit bit difficult but um difficult yeah, or di- difficult in the sense that <laughs> or a like, bit cheesy I, a bit cheesy and i i couldn't i couldn't agree with them therefore practicing them was too painful so i, um, uh, I did have a little <laughs> chuckle imagining you doing some of these exercises <laughs> oh, i did it or just hating them <laughs> So, some of them have been really useful. I suppose we'll get on to those um, yeah, yeah. As, we, as we go through. Um, I wonder whether, um, yeah, just give, give a brief overview about what the book's about, what it's based on, yeah. and what he means by the, by the happiness trap before we kind of yeah. just start chatting. One it. caveat I'll throw in is that I've studied acceptance and commitment therapy from a few different angles. Um, mm. And like he changes the language around a bit. So I might forget what came from this book and what came from elsewhere, but it's all the same stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. I think he tries to make it more user-friendly language, doesn't he? Um, he uses mm. like expansion instead of acceptance and mm. connection instead of contact with the present moment. And but anyway, mm. we'll get into all that. What was your question? <laughs> um, yeah. What, what do you mean by the, the happiness trap? And oh, uh, yeah. what's the background of this? Um, you know, this book? So um, the background of the book is, as I said, based in something called acceptance and commitment therapy. And one of their basic premises is that whereas other therapies are looking to reduce suffering, either implicitly or explicitly as their aim, the aim of this therapy is to live a more meaningful life and that that won't necessarily mean feeling more comfortable all the time. In fact, sometimes to live a more meaningful life, you end up feeling more more uncomfortable more often Mm. um, in terms of your immediate experience. But it's the kind of thing you look back on with more uh, fulfillment, maybe more meaning, more richness. Yeah. So that's the basic contrast between what they're saying is different about their therapy. Um, in terms of the happiness trap, I guess it's tied into that idea. So the, the trap would be that um, he talks about four myths, doesn't he, at the start of the book? Do you remember them? Yeah. So um, oh, I'm not going to remember absolutely all of them. So I think what, I've, what, I've got them around. One is that, that, yeah. What, one of them is that happiness is normal, whereas he yeah. makes the argument that it's. Um, it's not normal. We weren't um, humans. Didn't grow up necessarily to be to be happy. We grew up to like be on edge and be ready for danger. Right. And, and that that's one side of it. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so um, the basic medical model, when you think of health in general, talks about 
like health being a natural state of being human like that's the equilibrium we're looking for and when when we are sick that you know that's something to be steered away from and back to health and mm. that makes sense evolutionarily because you know we we evolved to survive and reproduce and you think in survival part of that would be would be being healthy but he's saying the medical model is kind of when you move that into psychological um the psychological realm that health and happiness aren't the same thing just because we evolved to survive and reproduce doesn't mean we survive to be uh, we evolved to be happy we um mm. we evolved to survive and reproduce and sometimes surviving and reproducing involves feeling very uncomfortable and anxious and scared mm. and angry and sometimes depressed and that's um that's not abnormal. That's part of the state of being human that we have to contend with. Mm. And how, how he relates this to what the happiness trap is, is that we, in trying to, um, in trying to, you know, change our uncomfortable feelings and our painful thoughts and struggling with them, that therefore creates more unhappiness. So in trying to be happy by getting rid of those mm. things, we actually make ourselves more unhappy with the struggle. So yeah, I guess what, what the principle is of it is that like how to handle these painful thoughts in a more productive way and then use your, um, use your values and direction towards more um, important activities or more helpful, helpful activities. Yeah. Like if you're feeling like there's something inherently wrong with you because you're anxious or worried or something, then like you say, it adds layers of suffering to that and you end up struggling with it. Whereas they're mm. saying like, we're not, not just to be resigned to it, but like to accept that that's just happening. And that's just the truth of the present moment. If that's the case and learn how to mm. act despite that, not, um, not feeling like, Oh, I must get rid of all discomfort before I can get on with my life. And it's quite different to the, um, the message we're taught, um, growing up, well, I imagine for a lot of people growing up is that, you know, we're kind of, you know, wanting to push away those negative feelings because they are like a barrier to happiness. Whereas yeah. for him, ha happiness is more about like a rich and meaningful life, yeah. which as you say, like involves those more unpleasant, uncomfortable feelings. And I guess when you yeah. put it in the context of, of growth and doing anything that's meaningful in life, there's obviously some struggle involved in that. So it's around uh, a bit around like learning to accept and embrace the struggle as opposed to fighting it which ends up leading to more unhappiness yeah nicely put i've just pulled the myths up here i think we've pretty much covered them so myth one happiness is a natural human state myth two if you're not happy you're defective uh myth three to create a better life we must get rid of negative feelings mm -hmm. and myth four you should be able to control what you think and feel hmm. i think um i think that really ties into yeah like what he means in the principles of the act around, or particularly in the part around con control. I think that that's yeah. a really interesting area to me that I'd, I'd be interested to dive into. Um, I guess before we get started, I just want to say the um, there's six principles of the act of act that he goes through in the book, which is um, one is diffusion, two is expansion, three is connection, four is the observing self, five is values and six is committed action. And he sums that up as um, he makes his own anagram. What do you call it? Anagram or act? So whatever. So he goes, accept. <laughs> acronym. <laughs> acronym. There we go. Accept <laughs> your internal experience and be present. Choose a value direction and take action. Mm. That's kind of how he sums yeah. it all up. Yeah, if you could sum the steps. book up in three points, it would be that <laughs> yeah. accept what's so, real yeah choose what you want to do your life and do it and do it no, <laughs> feel free to listen on <laughs> um so um something i was interested in was this bit around cognitive fusion that he talks yeah. about in the diffusion section so um for me that got me really thinking about how sometimes we can get really attached to our thoughts as if they're true, as if they're real. Um, yeah. He says, well, you know, they're reality, they're true, they're important, they're threats, 
their whys, their orders. I can mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. how moments in my life that I've before possibly reading this book and starting in starting on my own meditation practice that I would so often just get totally wrapped up in in cognitive fusion without yeah. realizing it at all. And it's kind yeah, of yeah. it's kind of scary to think at times when you do get totally wrapped up like your thoughts it feels like they 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 take over or they're directing you or they are something to be paid a lot of attention to um and it's it's quite a relief to have learned some of the techniques in this book and through meditation that you can actually step back from those and engage in what he calls diffusion which is more around um you know not necessarily believing that your thoughts are true they're not necessarily wise you don't need to pay attention to them unless um you know unless they're helpful Mm. they're not necessarily reality like that's Mm. quite a freeing concept to to find out and i thought yeah that's something i've definitely um realized in subtle ways Mm. from reading this and other practices they call um acceptance and commitment therapy a third wave cbt and um what they mean by that is that the first wave is like behavioral therapy where it's you know if you face your fears then you'll get over them so like choose to behave differently and in facing those fears things will improve then the cognitive approach came along which is the second wave that was saying like actually no it's sometimes it's not just your behavior and your environment that's causing suffering it's the way you're interpreting it and if you actually change your thoughts and beliefs um you, you can feel better without necessarily having to change your environment. So the way you're seeing things and acceptance commitment therapy is saying, well, we take, we agree with the first part of that premise that, um, that oftentimes it is our thoughts and our beliefs that are affecting how we feel, but not the second part, not that we have to therefore change them. We don't have to change the content of our thoughts. If, if, I'm, if I'm calling myself an idiot, I don't have to be like, oh, I have to shift that into telling myself I'm wonderful. It's just, it's like taking a step back from it and just noticing it's a voice, like it's a radio in the corner of the room that's Mm. just chatting shit at you. And it doesn't have to be real or relevant or important. It's just a noise and like, you don't have to engage with it. It doesn't have to be your reality. Like, so fusion is when it is our reality and then defusion is kind of stepping back from that and just seeing it for what it is, which is just chatter in the skull or images in your mind. Yes, it um, made me think about what they, there is a bit in the book, they, he talks about rejecting positive, um, positive self-talk and goes into that a little bit. But something he says you can do is acceptance self-talk and acceptance self-imagery. Oh, right. so, uh, yeah, I thought that was, that was quite interesting thinking about, um, yeah, talking to yourself in a way that's um, encouraging you to be more accepting of what's going on as opposed to saying, oh, you know, do better or don't think those things or put mm. it to the back of your mind or, you know, all those classic positive self, self-talk strategies that um, I guess don't, don't work in the long run. Um, he describes, um, yeah, in, in, in um, cognitive fusion that thoughts are words, images are just pictures and that sensations are just feelings inside mm. your body, so sensations, emotions. I thought that was... Although it's quite obvious, I thought that was quite a uh, useful way of thinking about it whenever um, I'm trying to dif- diffuse a certain thought, you know, thinking about, you know, what is it that I'm experiencing? Is this an mm. image? Is this just a sensation? Or is this a thought that I'm having and approaching it on that basis? Yeah, I um, I found... So I'll go into something which... Um, uh, other people might be able to relate to. So I found that with my like psychological sufferings or neuroses or whatever you want to call them, like I don't have much inner chat with them. My inner chat when I do have it is, is usually um, quite neutral and around, I don't know, stuff I'm learning. But when I'm triggered by something, I don't usually reinforce it within a chat. It's usually, I I usually maybe dissociate a bit and I just feel it in my body. Mm. And so at first I think the diffusion, um, especially with language, like in a language wasn't, um, I didn't relate to it with my suffering. Like let's say I was feeling some sort of shame. 
some people will have a very critical inner voice that does just sound like a voice in the head saying like, oh, what a stupid thing you just did. That was awful sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't tend to have that. So, but, but I, um, so one thing is I, I learned to uh, using like the CBT strategies to unpick the assumptions I'm making that I must be making because of the way I'm feeling. So let's say mm. someone says something and I feel ashamed I don't have to have an inner narrative to work out the assumptions I'm having in that situation that like there were their opinions important that I can read their mind that all that sort of stuff. And I can still kind of learn to diffuse from that, even though it's not an inner voice. Mm. Okay. So you're diffusing the inner assumption as opposed to a narrative that's going around in your head. Yeah. But then with say meditation, when I'm feeling fine, I will have a lot of stuff going on in the chat like oh what am I going to eat later or what do I want to do the rest of my mm. day or, or just memories of the day before or something like that and I find um just saying that one of the first strategies he offers is just saying like thanks mind so you're just it's just a way of stepping back and be like ah oh, cheers <laughs> cheers for that bit of content you're yeah. throwing at me um I don't need to do anything with it but thanks and then I find that when I'm meditating I find that I use it all the time as like a helpful way just to step back and into what I'm doing, my breath or my body. Yeah, something, um, example I have that um, really stuck, when I first read this book, I remember this, this has stuck with me ever since then. Yeah. Um, I tend to plan a lot and organize and I like lists and I've got my diary and I've got my things I like to do. And I just, in particular, just very, I guess, conscientious and just orderly like that. And I found there's a point I was starting to, I guess, plan probably more than what was help, healthy for me. So I was always thinking about, you know, what's next, what's happening tonight, you know, the order of things, times, getting a little bit obsessive with getting stuff done by a certain time. So what I I noticed was that when I'm starting to plan, in my head I'm starting to go, okay, what's happening tonight? What have I got to do? What's happening after this? Using one of the diffusion strategies of going like planning, like saying oh, yeah. to myself, okay, this is me planning now. So what what I'll do is I'll go, okay, if I'm having all these thoughts and it feels so important to me that I need to plan what's going on tonight, I'll take five minutes and I'll sit down and I'll plan, like right. compartmentalize that yeah. amount of time, which I, I thought was really, really useful. I think in a lot of other ways, a lot of the diffusion strategies he talks about have really subtly like crept into my life without being so overt. Like I'll notice if yeah. I'm just getting a bit carried away with the thought, for example, planning is one of them, but if there's like an image going around in my head, I'm able just to go, okay, that, that's an image, that's a thought, that's um, here's a feeling that I'm having. It's, I, mm. I suppose in, in naming it, it, it kind of um, it catches it before I start to fuse with it and become totally overwhelmed and, and you know, two days down the track and I've, it's still on my mind or something. Yeah. No, I, I really relate to what you're saying. And um, I think because, I, I don't know, I assume I recommended this to you after doing that course I did. Um, nah, nah, no, I think I got recommended by someone else. But I remember you talking about it after I bought it. But yeah, no. that's all right. Sorry, mate. No, I reckon <laughs> I recommended it to you. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not having this fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, the um, I know Axe did has um, it's got quite big in Australia, right? Probably more so than anywhere else. And Russ Harris is oh, Australian, so so he talks about Tim Tams. I was like, oh, I had to like, the moment I saw Tim, Tim Tam, it's like a chocolate over here. Like, I uh, googled that, it and I was like, yeah. It's not in my edition, mate. It must be in the edition you got over there. Oh, no. Do they change it? That's yeah. awful. <laughs> different audience. Assimilating. <laughs> Cultural appropriation. That's it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. I accept that you might have heard this uh outside of me that's okay i can handle that i may have been wrong all right but i do remember us talking about it and like years and years ago um i did Mm. i don't know if you did a module in an act or something but i remember you said yeah we we did we did some yeah yeah we did we did a lot and when i was doing my cert for mental health over here we we did a lot about um acceptance and commitment in particular working with um was mental health alcohol and other drugs so we um, we were t- talked a lot about, um, actually, I remember going into work once when I was working at a drug and alcohol rehab and bringing in um, the urge surfing. 
that he talks about a bit oh, later yeah, in the yeah. book. And I remember like writing it up on the board and like talking three clients through it, going like, oh, you know, when you have an urge to use drugs or smoke a cigarette, like here's the here's something you could use, you know, like um observe the urge, watch the breath, you know, going through the different sequences yeah. and redirecting yourself to something more valuable. So I think ACT is um useful in a number of different areas as well. Yeah. I guess, addictions and I'm wondering also how I can bring it into my current work in mental health as well. Cause I know they run a acceptance and commitment therapy group in one of our community oh, yeah. centers that's, that's linked with the hospital. So um, anyway, yeah, I just, I can just see how its application is quite far reaching. Yeah. So what I was saying on the back of your last point was like, I think we've probably, we probably consume this stuff like four or five years ago. And I think as you were saying, I, I uh, related to this idea that I've probably integrated a lot of the principles quite mm. subtly and maybe unconsciously now that when it came to doing this podcast, like thinking about sort of significant stories or personal examples was quite difficult because it's so sort of yeah. subtle. It's just like little mm. things like bringing yourself back to the breath occasionally or like noticing you're lost in thought and just coming back or, uh, or, you know, thinking about, oh, is this behavior in line with my values? It's something that's so sort of habitualized that it's hard to be like, oh, I've got this story when this happened or. Yeah, totally. No, I definitely think that too. I think something else that crept in is, um, you know, the bit around, is it helpful? So um, what, what he talks about in this book is not whether a thought is good or bad or um, disturbing or not disturbing. It's about whether it's or, helpful. Um, yeah, or true or false. So it's off the true, back true of or cognitive yeah. therapy, right? Because uh, in cognitive therapy, they are constantly getting you to see, like, is this rational? Like, what's the evidence for this thought? And in act, mm. as you're saying, they're not saying, like, don't worry about that. <laughs> like, sometimes you might be telling yourself you're awful at maths when you're studying for maths. Might be true. You might be awful at maths. But, like, having that inner narrative going on whilst you're trying to study mm. is not helpful. <laughs> and they say you can accept things out of pragmatism as well that's what he says in this book you know yeah. that's a perfect example of you know like it's probably quite helpful for me to know that i'm bad at maths and that's a helpful thought even though it's uh i guess you could class that as a a negative thought because it's you know it, it typically wouldn't be seen as helpful but actually if you kind of accepted that and it, it might spur you on to take more valued action so yeah there's a gap between where i am and where i want to be so it's more helpful for me to accept the situation as it is and make the necessary changes. Yeah, yeah. And there's a difference between like having a belief that you're not as good at maths as you could be at the moment and and having that narrative in your mind while studying quadratic equations. <laughs> like it's just mm, in the yeah. way. By that, by that point, it's just not serving you, is it? It's, it's like I need to put that to one side if I'm going to study. That's, yeah, and particularly the... Yeah, the bit around whether a thought's helpful or not has been, that's been difficult for me to accept, I found, <laughs> because there's, there's times where I want to, I, I want to wrestle with logic and try and justify yeah. a situation. You know, if I'm you not know, happy about a particular situation or something's troubling me, I'll, I'll, I typically, and sometimes yeah. I guess will like wrestle with it and try and, um, yeah, justify it with logic or reason or try and make myself feel better from that way around. Whereas actually the times where um, it, there's, I guess, less suffering is when I've accepted it more and I've actually got an idea of what I want to do with my time. Like you can waste a lot of unnecessary time wrestling with your thoughts and images and sensations. Whereas it's even just from like a practical point of view, it's, it's often a bit quicker to accept yeah. them. And, and you obviously are using your time a lot better as well. You know, if you're not spending, there's a huge difference between, you know, being distressed for one hour compared to five days about something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, are there, you mentioned like labeling the process for what you're doing, like planning. Is there any other of these diffusion strategies you've taken on board? Hmm. <laughs> Let me have a think. Um, I think sometimes with, in particular with feelings of maybe just being anxious or um, worried, um, I, I guess I'm just thinking about, you know, when I went for like a job interview in November, October, November last year, and I just remember feeling like this surge of anxiety and, you know, this mm. pang in my stomach, you know, leading up to it. And I suppose I was getting those in the days leading up to it. And 
I think I I remember just going like, okay, that is a, I get just naming it, just going like, I'm feeling this in my stomach. I'm feeling anxious, but like, what, what do I want to do about it? I guess it, it presented me with a choice point. Like I can either start wrestling with it and try and cover it up or, mm. um, you know, pretend it's not happening or I can go, okay, like this interview is going to make me feel anxious. This is an anxiety provoking situation. That's okay. Um, what, what can I do that's more in my control to make this interview better? So often it's kind of, I, I can't necessarily, and this, I guess this goes quite a lot into what he talks about in the book that you can't control your, those feelings. You can't control yeah. that anxiety you're having. So you're actually better off accepting it and putting it more to valid action. So I guess that strategy of like naming my anxiety and knowing yeah. that, yeah, it's obviously just bled its way through into my life, but it's just going like, okay, it's going to be more helpful for me to accept the fact that I feel nervous going into this than to fight it. So, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And that's, um, that probably comes more under the principle of what he calls expansion. Mm. Um, which Making is making room for those feelings. Yeah. Which, so f- fusion and diffusion is more the realm of thoughts. So like that inner narrative and images, the radio and the TV screen in our minds, whereas expansion is sort of a similar process, but with the sensations in our bodies. So like the mm. example you just gave was with anxiety. And if we're, if we're feeling that way and we're telling ourselves it's awful, I feel this way, I must get rid of it. You might even use sort of muscular tension to try and push things away and you're just fighting with it. And actually, mm. like you say, we can't control those things. And it's by acceptance or, or expansion. He's not talking about um, being resigned to feeling that way, but just accepting the reality that I'm a human. Sometimes humans feel like this. Doesn't mean it has to control what I do. And um, mm. it's okay that it's there. And actually sometimes they say a byproduct of that might be that it reduces, but like as soon as that becomes your reason for doing it, it becomes a fight again and you're probably going to... Well, it uh, becomes another con- con- uh, control strategy, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I guess that's something he warns of is that, you know, when diffusion or expansion become a control strategy, yeah. so you, you start, it almost becomes like, yeah, you're, you're fighting with it as yeah, opposed yeah. to allowing. <laughs> I really want um, to get rid of these thoughts and feelings, so I must use my, these techniques I've just learned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's easier to do that, especially if they start to work in the typical sense. Yeah, um, I just want to add, something else, yeah, go, no, just yeah. on the back of that, but um, I think it's... Oh, I find it interesting. I don't know about anyone else, but like through evolution, we've built our fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. And so when we are in contact with danger, our choices are to like destroy the danger w- with a fight or to run away from it, to escape it, to avoid it, to hide. And a point they're making as well is that this this strategy we have is so old and has been so useful in our evolutionary history for external mm. threats. But our mind, um, because we've become self-aware and self-conscious, our mind can become a source of threat. And then we use these old strategies of external threats against our internal threats. So like now I'm aware of how I feel that self-awareness of being anxious can feel like a threat to me, but to use this, I can't run away from my body and I can't fight my body, but that's Mm. what we instinctively do because it's the way we're built. And so they're saying that that's like when we experience our own psychology, our own feelings, our own thoughts as threats, we're sort of tempted and primed to use the fight or flight response with them but that's only helpful with things that you can actually run away from or destroy. And you don't want to run away from or destroy yourself because it's clearly unproductive. Right. <laughs> I, um, there was something I wanted to add on to that, um, that I, I wrote down is that, um, so there's like the thought, the image or the emotion. And then the bit you talk about, like the body gets aroused for action. So that fight, flight, freeze response. And then what, where the mind comes in and creates a struggle is that we attach a meaning to it. Yeah, we we begin to attach a meaning to why am I feeling threatened? Why am I scared? Mm. And then that can like um, trigger a whole other response as well. 
So I think it's, yeah. it's interesting to, if you look on the, you know, the scale of how this goes, you know, if you can accept it and be with it at the thought, image, emotion end of it, I guess, before it's come to the point where you're, you know, you're highly aroused and then you're attaching meanings to why that's happening, that it can start a whole other cycle. Mm. So that's something I've thought about is that I guess the earlier I catch it, it can stop it from moving on to that, um, yeah, moving on to like that physical reaction mm. that can then trigger a whole other set of thoughts. Yeah, and the meaning can be something as simple as this is horrible, this is awful. Mm. Like you've got the pain itself and then the meaning that you, this is it's really bad that I feel this way. And then you're um, going to respond to that in, yeah. in a whole multitude of ways that have been learned over time. Some people might drink, some people might get yeah. angry, some people might yeah. you know, come up with a whole heap of typically unhelpful responses that probably lead back to more unhelpful thoughts and images and and then you're back in the trap of you know feeling bad about well feeling anxious about feeling anxious feeling angry about feeling angry yeah feeling bad about the um coping strategies you've used in response to those bad feelings he calls Mm. it um clean pain and dirty pain so a, a clean pain is like the first layer of of suffering you have so that's a stub my toe. I'm walking down the street and I stub my toe. That's going to hurt and that's okay. But let's say uh, I get really annoyed that I stub my toe and at myself and I'm like, <laughs> you idiot. Then that's, an, that's a layer of dirty pain on top of my original pain. Mm. And let's say someone saw me and I now feel embarrassed and ashamed that I just got angry at myself in public. So now I'm feeling ashamed that I feel angry that I stubbed my toe. <laughs> and then yeah it can easily happen though it's, yeah, it's yeah. funny but it can so easily happen i think it's um i guess what this has made me do is like this book in reading this again you know um made me pay really close attention to my experience especially when i'm getting um set, you know i haven't stubbed my toe this week but if i you know i felt like i did something wrong at work or i was um i felt a bit embarrassed or I. I think I like hit my head on the shelf or something. I got like, I, I've, I've been really trying to watch those experiences and how it, like how it can develop. And it's actually, it's brought a whole new level of curiosity, which is actually quite fascinating. And it's really interesting to learn like how you react in certain situations. I think if you can learn to love this process and learn to love and enjoy whatever comes it's absolutely fascinating to see like mm. where your mind can go like when you stub to toe <laughs> like, yeah 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 it just reminded me of um the opposite uh, you, you as you were talking then about hitting your head i was uh i was in greece with a couple of friends and um one of them <laughs> i think pulled the car the the like boot door down on on harry's head <laughs> And so yeah. Harry, Harry was still like getting something out of the boot and Dan like put, I think it was that way around and pulled the, the <laughs> boot down. It like smacked him on the head. And it, he just, he was just smiling and carried on doing what he was doing. And it, it was yeah, like, right. Harry, are you okay? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, it hurt, but it's fine. <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. He just wasn't annoyed at Dan. He wasn't like, yeah, he just had no... <laughs> emotional response to it so it was just a bit of pain it's okay i think it, it is really fascinating to think about um yeah what extra level of suffering you can add to a situation yeah. by by your reaction to it like obviously in that situation if um you know if harry's then gotten really annoyed and just i guess overreacted it you know could damage the relationship and then you know if he storms off or something <laughs> you know it's kind of there's there's no end i think um yeah, I guess, you know, even to jump to the end of this, like it's just brought a new curiosity and a new um, interest to me when I'm, yeah, I guess I'm catching myself a lot earlier in the sequence. I reckon um, this, um, so we've gone from diffusion to expansion and what we're talking about now is the, what the principle of the observing self, um, um, yeah. which, which is this idea that you can relate to yourself as your thoughts and feelings um or you can witness that and 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 identify with the witness as who you are uh, it sounds a bit um perhaps woo woo for those not in the the eastern tradition side of things but like 
that you can witness yourself mm. and associate yourself as the witness, not, not the pain, not the suffering, not the thoughts you're having in your head, but those things are almost, they're not you, they're just stuff that's going on. Mm. And inherently the witness, like the bit of you that can feel your anxiety and notice it, the bit of you that can notice the thoughts in your head, that because you have something that can notice that, that thing itself isn't suffering. That, that thing itself can't be judging because a judgment's a thought and you can observe mm. thoughts. And so there's this sort of ever-present self-observer you have, which is non-judgmental and not in pain. And yeah, that, that's the bit. Yeah, that stood out to me a lot, that that observing self isn't judging the situation. It's just simply witnessing it. And I guess if you can connect a bit more to that, yeah. then... You, you obviously will see things a lot clearer as well, especially if you've done that expansion and you've allowed allowed yourself to see your emotions or thoughts as they are. You've got a clear picture of them. And then from the observing self, you can kind of, you've taken that step back and you can mm. just watch them be a bit more transitory. Whereas like if you're quite, um, if you're fused with your thoughts and emotions, you, you're often wanting things to be, to be different or you're, mm. you know, you're, you're too, you're too close to them, so you want you want to get away. Whereas if there's already that distance, you can, yeah, see things for what they are. Yeah, which is a really ha- really helpful thing. And I guess it reminds me of you know when you, you talk to a friend and you get a bit of perspective on an issue, and you end up laughing about something that was originally yeah. quite painful. Is I, I always draw that connection between the two, like being able to get that perspective, that bird's eye view. And I think yeah. a lot of um, a lot of like self help psychology books now talk a lot about that like getting that stepping back and creating a distance from your yeah yeah well yeah these all these third wave cbt's kind of nicked a lot of buddhism and pushed it into their model and now it's all full of mindfulness isn't it which isn't a bad thing but it's 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 an observation and actually saying that this was the first this was my first introduction to mindfulness and meditation i mean they don't exactly preach meditation, but it, at least mindfulness. Uh, I'd not heard about it before, like studying this a few, uh, back in 2013 or whenever it was. So like that was probably the biggest thing for me at the time because I, I still do loads of that and I don't really think about it as connected with um, ACT anymore. Um, but yeah, it was massive at the time. I remember reading this book. I think I was in a Pret-a-Manger in Cardiff. And like it was reading some of the exercises and it was just like, take 10 deep breaths. And then it was like, just notice five things in your environment. And suddenly my like head was up and I was looking around, people walked past and I like smiled at them. I was just feeling like calmer and more present. Mm. The technique I liked, um, he talks about in this section is, it's, it's something around doing, you know, three breaths, just focusing on your breath, then three breaths, focusing on your body, then three breaths, focusing on your environment, then three breaths focusing on sounds. And then it's like a 12 breath sequence or 15 breath sequence. And kind of by the end, you've, you've really expanded to take in the whole of your environment. You've created a lot more space for those feelings and thoughts to come and go. Whereas it can almost feel like when you're fused with a thought, you're quite, it's like you're in your head. That's how I describe, you know, you're stuck in your own head. Yeah. I think that's, that's what to me that, that means. And that that's this technique's like been really, really helpful. Yeah, yeah. I've almost done so much like mindfulness and stuff now that I forget that this was my introduction to it. I think that too. I should, I, I definitely feel, like in reading this again. I'm like I I know this, and it was nice to see how it like subtly has played into my life. It's not like a big miraculous huge change. Like all of a sudden, I'm just able to accept absolutely everything. Like I still I still struggle. Mm. But I guess the the fight's a lot less. Um, I guess yeah, there's a lot less, lot less fighting with it. You know, yeah, yeah. And with the struggle um, switches off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with the with the fusion. I, I know I said earlier about um, um, like thoughts that maybe induce suffering or something. But even just neutrally being in your head a lot, like I think it's. One thing I think I learned originally from this was that yeah I was I was off thinking all the time and mm. it wasn't it was 
it wasn't necessarily anything bad, like this self-criticism or anything, but it was just thinking, 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 thinking. And it's like, even if that's all neutral and fine, and sometimes they're enjoyable daydreams Mm. or whatever, it's, um, I think it's just good for you to, there's nothing wrong with thinking. I enjoy thinking. I think it's great, but not a hundred percent of the time, just, just to experience as well and be in the present moment and taking in your environment and the sensations. I think you need to do that every day, really. Like it's, I don't think it's good for you to stay in constant cognition. Otherwise all all you have to think about are thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think that's where you can feel kind of a, a type of exhaustion. That's not physical. It's especially in, um, maybe if you've overworked or you're having to do really highly stimulating things constantly, um, there's there's like no space for your like your head to breathe and just to just to be. And I think that's what I um I miss about living in nature. You know, where we grew up in Somerset, I think there was something something in that that kind of I had on a daily basis. You know, just being in a yeah quiet countryside village like I'd always just get some sort of sense that there was some stillness or some like a nice big field near me or something whereas now it's I can feel even a bit like my environment's kind of pushing in on me a little bit Mm. and um, definitely that that connection to nature and to your own body is something that yeah I totally agree you know something to integrate that into your daily life um is really important. Yeah, especially as you say, yes. when living in cities where like everything around you is the product of thought, right? All buildings and streets and traffic lights, like they're all thoughts that someone had and has created. And sometimes just being in nature where you're just around things that you're related to, like genetically mm. and that are natural and, and not man made is can sort of induce that sense of connection without even having to use any exercises do you think technology's had a big impact on on us at all in terms of our ability to um accept um and choose but in relation to this choose valid direction and taking action i can see how it distracts us from being able to accept our internal states or like we're easily distracted you know, at the moment we yeah. feel something uncomfortable, people might pick up their phone and it's just kind of, there's that. Yeah, yeah. it's another um, yeah. flight or avoidance strategy that's always yeah. literally at hand, whereas mm. it might, yeah, we might have just been more confronted with having to sit with ourselves more often than we are now. Like, And also your values might be, values might be pushed onto you a bit more through technology as well you know yeah, images yeah, of yeah. How, how to look or where to be or what to do i suppose in regards to like taking action as well i suppose like if you're on your phone all the time or you can cancel events or not go to stuff or yeah you might be less likely to take action if you're more connected to your technology as opposed to people in the real world yeah and even like when we we're younger although we had tv like it did end, uh, you know, there was like an eight hour cycle, I don't know, maybe from like midnight to 6am where it just streamed teletext and lots of the TV that was on was just crap and boring and full of ads. <laughs> so it's like, even that wasn't a massive distraction. There's only so much like soaps and game shows you can like yeah. really distract yeah. yourself with. Whereas now you have like really high quality programming at any time you want which like because mm. everyone's always recommending the next amazing show and i, I believe mm. in that it probably is amazing but it's just too much <laughs> and yeah we have this constant way to distract ourselves which yeah it's almost it almost gets a bit boring to talk about doesn't it technology because it's like yeah yeah i almost just accept that it has come with a load of negatives and um uh, and obviously positives like this but mm. So um, there was one thing I wanted to um, chat about in particular in regards to this, and it was around, um, it might be taking a couple of steps back, but it's around, um, for me, sometimes I can get a bit caught up in indecision. So I guess deciding, um, you know, whether a belief, a thought or an image I have is helpful. And then uh, yeah. I guess comparing that to like my values, wants and needs. I can often find I get caught up in a bit of a um, bit of a struggle between 
those two and how much to um, take input from my feelings, thoughts and images um, compared to allowing my values to dictate um, all the decisions I make. So mm. I guess with, with that said, I came up with a slight answer in my head as I was writing it because I was, I was really struggling with this one, but it's, I guess if I'm, I guess I'll tell you my answer and then I'll hear what you think. Yeah. Um, is that if I can see my thoughts, images, urges, um, and emotions clearly for what they are, then I'm able to make a better assessment as to whether those things are in line with my values and what I want to do with my life and the decisions I want to make. Whereas when I can't see them clearly, um, I get caught up in a bit of a mental battle trying to either justify them, work out if they're true or not, um, and allowing them to take over, which in the end, I guess, affects me from making effective decisions in line with my values. So I'm hoping you agree. If not, then my whole theory is <laughs> crumbled before me. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> nah. I'm still processing it. So let me repeat it back and see if I've got it. So you're saying that sometimes, like you like the principle of deciding whether thoughts or sensations are helpful or not. and and that if they are helpful, that means they're in line with your values. And if not, they're not. And you can diffuse them and do something that's more helpful. But sometimes you have thoughts and feelings where it's hard to actually decide, are these in line with my values and are they helpful or not? Yeah. Um, and then you're struggling with that decision. Is that, was mm. that the problem? Yeah. Yeah. And also, I guess then, I guess how they relate to like my values as well, you know, like if, and what was the solution or what was the, like, where you think you resolved that? That I think if I can just see my thoughts, um, feelings, emotions, urges clearer and for what they are, I'm able to make a better decision as to whether they're in line with my values. Okay. And how would you see them clearer? It's in clear through, um, I guess, diffusion, expansion. Right. Yeah. Connection. Like taking a step back from... Take, taking a step back because I think when I get too wrapped up in them, it can really affect um, decision making in particular. Yeah. So the thought I had about this, I'm not saying you're doing this necessarily, but one thing that's really important is to which this model offers is to really look at and work out your values. Um, and don't do that like whilst under stress or pressure or fused yeah. with thoughts or, or suffering. Like you need time outside of all that mess to sit down and think like, what's actually really important to me mm. and gain clarity on that. So that when those points come up, like you've almost like, oh, I know my value so well that yeah. like it's easier and not necessarily easy, but easier to decide whether these are helpful or not. Mm. Um, No. yeah yeah that's how, yeah definitely it's definitely something um i thought about you know I, I have worked out you know what my values are and what's important to me and all those sorts of things i think it probably what i'm getting from what you're saying is that like don't make any major decisions if you're feeling a bit stuck in your head <laughs> like yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah pretty much, you know, i guess yeah just something just take a step back and just see things for what they are before making any major decisions because i think often that that tussle comes when it's if you feel really strongly about something and you've really fused with it, then um, it's probably going to hinder like any decision making you, you can mm. have. I think this is pr possibly what, um, what structured religions might have been able to offer people. It's that like when I'm in a mess, like I know this is the, th this is the gospel I can turn to that can mm -hmm. provide my path out of this. Yeah. And, um, and you know we don't necessarily have that anymore but it so therefore it's really important to define your own values and what's really important to you and almost have your own sort of metaphorical bible of mm. of what um and the way they suggest a method which i think can be quite helpful that they suggest in here is to like imagine you're you know 90 years old or something you're on your deathbed and you're looking back over your life what do you imagine you would wish 
like how do you hope you would have lived what what kind of major things would you like to done how would you have liked to be in the world what would you wanted your relationships have been like what what do you think you might be susceptible to regretting to regretting not having said to someone to regretting not having done and like mm. that can be a sort of helpful thought experiment to really defining what your values are and not not necessarily creating your values but almost discovering them because they're probably in there when you really pose that question to yourself mm. like things emerge it's not like you're choosing them necessarily it's like no this is what's most important to me i can feel it mm. there was one um amusing one i saw that was like w- would you do this if if you're not doing something like would you do it if someone like had a gun to your head or was going to give you a million dollars like oh yeah if so, if so you can do it like what's stopping you gets in the way of um it, it makes us like procrastinate and not do things and he's basically like well if it was that important to you like you'd be doing it yeah i think he called it it's basically he was talking about excuses he didn't use that word i think he called it reason giving but like it's like how do you <laughs> <laughs> how do you know how can you tell an excuse from a genuine reason? And he was like, well, if someone stuck a gun to your head and say, do this, like, could you do it? So if then, you know, it's an excuse or a reason. So, um, if let's say, um, let's say you break your leg and you know, you had two broken legs and someone, and someone stuck a gun to your head and say like, run a marathon. You just couldn't like, and like that's but if if you woke up and you were feeling a bit tired and you didn't want to do the run that you said you'd done the night before if if someone stuck a gun to your head and said go on that run you could do it right yeah yeah. (laughs) you might say um uh a difference between um goals and values as well oh yeah in this particular stage you know goals are short-term things whereas values you know is some is more about like the journey and progression and growth which um you know, he ties up the book quite nicely as well. I think you know, I think values comes at a good a good time in the book because it's um, it almost feels like a well, it is like the bedrock before you can take committed action. Like if you don't know what you want and what's important to you, then you can't really um, carry out the the commitment part of it, which is yeah. you know, committed action in towards valued activities, and therefore yeah. that's like creates a meaningful life. So I think. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's really nice to split up the more I think about it. You know, te- techniques to diffuse and overcome thoughts. Oh, not overcome them, but accept thoughts. And then have some values with which you want to act on. Because when it comes to those choice points, um, you're going to want to redirect your energies to something more meaningful rather than using your energy getting caught up in the mm. sense. We've used the phrase choice points a lot when we've talked in these podcasts and for me, this is where I first heard about it uh, in acceptance and commitment therapy, that when you get to, you know, uh, a choice point um, that then you can diffuse, you can expand, you can connect to the present, you can decide what your values are and then you can take committed action rather than the road of a, the path of least resistance, which is usually the fight or the avoid or the hide or the mm. procrastinate or whatever it is. So it's, it's interesting that we've used that quite a lot. And, but for me, this yeah. is what I heard about it. I like, um, <laughs> something says in that final chapter about like being willing to, you know, take action and being willing to, you know, commit to something more meaningful is black and white. It's yes or no. You can't half be, committed to doing something or be committed to not doing something. It's like either you're, you're willing to take that action and cast a vote for yourself. That's why I drew a bit on um, atomic habits or you're, you're not willing to face it and confront it. Yeah. I I thought that was good. It was kind of, um, yeah, it's a real, it's like making that real switch to going, okay, I'm choosing to like face this head on and put my energies elsewhere as opposed to, kind of half-arsing it or half-trying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a black and white thinking gets a a harsh rap, doesn't it? But that's... uh, (laughs) Sometimes (laughs) sometimes things are black and white. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very uh, closed Um, mindset. (laughs) I want to build on on this values and goals idea. I think it's really important. So values 
can't be ticked off a list, whereas goals are like can be, and if they're mm. well formulated, they should be able to be ticked off a list. So I might have a value to say, um, be a good friend. You, you don't, you don't get that done <laughs> and then not have to do yeah. it anymore. Like mm. as long as it's a value, it's something you're always wanting to work on. Right. Whereas yeah. within the value of that, I might be like, Oh, um, cool. Will or, yeah. If to make that a smart goal, which I think they go into, would be sort of like on Thursday at seven o'clock for half an hour, have a phone call with Will and make yeah. sure I ask him about this thing he said he was doing this week. Yeah. So make it like specific and measurable. Mm. Um, and then once I've done that, I can tick that on the list and say, yes, I, I've casted a vote towards my value of being a good friend, which is more like this North Star that you're always following, but you're never going to tick off unless you decide it's not a value for you anymore. Something it made me think about was um, in regards to my habits, because I know we've spoken a lot about that recently. I've got like my morning routine and things I like to do each day to, um, I guess, maintain health and well-being and stuff. And I, I guess I was I was thinking that I've been doing these habits for pr- pretty well for like the last six weeks or so. Yeah. But I, I reckon at some point over the last couple of weeks, I kind of lost the the why. Like, what are my habits for? What am I yeah. what values are these in align with so it's encouraged me to like go back and revisit those and go oh, okay yeah. like these are the reasons i'm doing those habits because they in an ongoing way help me to live out those values yeah and, and i guess it's um yeah goal goals are important but i think values are you know really what should guide guide those and it's more yeah of a, an ongoing thing like I, I guess in forgetting well this reminded me that which was great i'm glad i'm glad it did <laughs> that's awesome no i i feel similarly i think we both had a bit of a boost when we talked about habits and yeah i think i've i've been doing a, a solid morning routine for six seven weeks and the last mm. week or so it's like i noticed you know a few of the i'd be getting up a little later a few of the habits i would skip yeah. um it's like i think you're right it's it's that reattuning to your values and the why because um, yeah actions and values have to be in sync with one another and you can kind of get lost in the actions and forget the values it's yeah. probably why um in religion like say in christianity you would go to church every sunday it's like a chance to re-embed those values yeah. once a week and you know maybe we could do with a, a structure that, to help re-embed our values more consistently hmm. i think that's um that's where like reflection comes into it, doesn't it? You know, weekly yeah. and or monthly reflection, you know, looking at, you know, if I, have I been living in line with my values? And I suppose that's, it can be a difficult one to track sometimes, whether you've been, like habits are almost like the, the way of tracking whether you've been yeah. living in line with your values sometimes. I know that's not it entirely, but I think that's, that's my way of, you know, proving to myself that I am trying to, live in line with my value, whether it's healthy, you know, if I've been to yeah. the gym five times in a week, like that's me being able to look at it and go, okay, I am the sort of person who's living in line with my values. Whereas if I yeah. can say I haven't, then that might raise a question about, okay, am I, what are the consequences of me not living in line with my values as well? Yeah. So like, if, yeah. What are the if consequences of if I don't live in line with my values? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah it's an interesting one. I, I, I thought that was, um, yeah, in particular around like creating a life I want to live. And it, it gets me thinking about the sorts of things that um, thoughts and images and worries that kind of stick with me a little longer. You know, ones that, um, you know, around particular issues don't seem to kind of, I can't seem to shrug off as quickly. And it makes me really think about, you know, what what can I do in those moments, you know, to um, live a more meaningful life? or, you know, create the life I want? Like, do I want to live a life where I'm kind of, you know, trapped by these certain ways of thinking or this certain anxiety um, or worry? Whereas I can, it's quite a a satisfying notion to know that, like, I could accept that and put my energies towards other Mm. things, knowing how much energy those worries do take Yeah. It's definitely easy 
to um lose sight of of of, of other values when something's like playing on your mind right i remember you was it last podcast you said about um a time where you weren't feeling great but regardless you knew that like so long as i make sure i'm exercising i'm i'm planning my eight hours i'm eating well that's gonna like Mm. carry me through this and that that would be the easiest time to drop all those other values right when yeah Mm. well matt how are we doing pretty good we've uh pretty good (laughs) maybe we should summarize a bit and see if anything comes out of that i think we've it's kind of like there are two parts i know there there are six principles but the six principles cover two areas don't they it's like mindful Mm. connection with the present and then using that as a foundation to do what's important to you Mm. and it's like you can't really have one without the other it's like it'd be very nice i guess to get to a point where you can sort of um diffuse from your thoughts, accept how you're feeling, be connected to nature in the present moment. But then you still have a life to live. You still want to do things with your life, don't you? And mm-hmm. so, and on the other hand, you can, it's all very well to have values, things that are really important to you to plan goals in, in accord with your values, to make sure your work and your relationships and your leisure and, and your, what you want to do with your life is actually in line with what's going to be most important to you when you reflect back. But if you're missing all that because you're off planning all the time and you're off in your head and like, you're not, you're not engaging in the sunsets because you haven't learned to diffuse from your thoughts and constantly battling with anxiety whilst your children are growing up or something. It's, it's mm. like, they're, they're like two um, siblings that go hand in hand. It's quite a nice balance between them. Mm. I think finding a balance between them is really important. It reminds me of the, um, we talked about a bit before, the remembering self and the experiencing self. It's like all the mindfulness stuff is about really engaging that experiencing self to actually be able to enjoy the present moment. And then... That's that's where it says we have the power. Like in the present moment is where we have the power to do something as well. Yeah. And then the remembering self is like making sure we actually plan and live a life that we look back on the end of the day the end of the week the end of the month the end of the life and we're like yeah that was really cool i'm glad i did that <laughs> hmm. yeah it's a nice parallel you draw through there actually yeah and i necessarily thought about that but um yeah it's good it's it's a, a balance isn't it between yeah doing what what feels like connected and alive in this in this moment and then also yeah being able to look back and not not have any regrets and know that you lived life to the fullest and you were like alive in those moments and you were connected in a mindful way. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. What's your main takeaway? Main takeaway. I think it's around. um, Yeah. I think it's, it's reminded me to name, name, thoughts and emotions as they arise, particularly in regards to like planning or if I feel like I'm about to get carried away or fused with them, being able to like nip it in the bud. And I think this is a a fresh reminder for me to like pay very close attention to my experiences on a moment to moment basis. Just so I'm, you know, fully aware and I'm not kind of um yeah, getting too tangled up. And and then I guess the second takeaway is just in regards to um decision making, like making sure that I'm taking a step back and seeing things clearly and connecting with my values before I make any major decisions, especially mm. if, I, if I have, if I have the time to, um, because I feel like, yeah, if, if you get, if you kind of forget your values and what's important to you, I think it's easy to just let your thoughts and feelings dictate your decisions and think what's important to you. Whereas maybe they might not be and they're just getting in the way. Sounds like all of it then. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, main, main takeaway was to be mindful in the present, diffuse my thoughts, like accept how I feel and make sure I act in accord with my values. <laughs> so yeah, yeah that's good. the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> we said that 50 minutes ago. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, so next week we're doing um, Sam Harris' book, Waking Up. Mm. Um, 
really looking forward to that one. I think, yeah, we chose them in conjunction with each other because we think they, there's a good link and there's some good parallels. Yeah, this goes so. much more into the depth of the mindfulness side of things, right? The, the observing self and the connection to the present moment. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've uh, been really enjoying um, reading that one again this week as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm keen to see how we go. So, yeah, next week we'll have a chat about that, I guess. Look forward to it. Nice one. Cheers, mate. Really enjoying this. And it's, um, yeah, it's definitely having a, I'm really enjoying reading books that I've, not all of them we have, but some books that I've already read and yeah. going back over them and realizing, you know, how much, you know, wealth of knowledge and such a, so many rich ideas are in there. And it's, it's great to like connect with them and talk with them, talk about them with you because, uh, maybe at the time I was just kind of reading through it a bit quickly and didn't quite, um, those messages didn't embed themselves. And yeah. This really helps, helps with that. Yeah. Yeah. And even when they do embed themselves, it, you forget, right? And it's nice to be like, oh, actually, you know, I do that quite a lot. Oh, I like that here. Yeah. <laughs> this, this book in particular, I, I've really felt that with um, chatting to you today, like that we do, there's a lot of things, like a lot of this we are aware of and we do implement in our day to day lives. And it, this has just served as a really useful, like, tune up and reminder. Yeah. Yeah. But we are doing some great things and there's also some things we can work on. So, yeah. Cheers, mate. See you, mate. Have a good one. Bye.